Thank you, Walt. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Marathon weekend. We're going to run a marathon. Well, not really. So, But yeah, it's marathon weekend, so we want to talk about the marathon. And we, it's interesting that Team World Vision is here this morning, and I want to thank Carrie, because Carrie's doing a marathon this weekend. She's actually here at all three services. So she'll get her little 3.0 sticker when she leaves today, so she can put it in the back of her car. Uh, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, thank you for being here, right? So, and then Rob Wibbler, our team captain from uh, World Vision, who actually brought World Vision, Team World Vision, to us several years ago. And so it's just been awesome that um, we get to partner with World Vision and actually provide clean water for children in Africa. And pay attention, we're going to do something else with World Vision later this year. So uh, keep your ears tuned. So it's pretty cool. Uh, we get an opportunity to do that. And so uh, this morning, we're talking about this next part in the series of generosity, of what it is to be generous Christians. And today's sermon title is titled Step by Step. Well, it's interesting, right, that this is also marathon weekend. And when we say interesting, that's kind of code for, I wonder if Jesus had something to do with that. That's what it means inside the church. And we say, well, that's interesting. So that's interesting. It's step by step. And uh, we didn't plan it, but maybe somebody did. I don't know. But this weekend, I thought I'd share with you just a quick story as we begin. This is Bridget Koskai. She's from Kenya, and she runs marathons. And in fact, this last year in 2019 at the Chicago Marathon, she set the world record, fastest woman ever in a marathon. And she did that marathon in two hours, 14 minutes and four seconds, just slightly ahead of me. And um, <laughs> I, yeah, I know that probably, you know, doesn't surprise you, right? Because um, I look like I'm built for marathons. Um, but, you know, it's amazing when you, when you look at somebody like this and you look at all of these runners, and they're crazy gifted. We were walking toward the tent this year, World Vision, and one of these runners is like running by me, and it's like they're just a wisp of a person. And they're like just floating on the ground, taking strides that are like massive. And they're just like amazing. They're amazingly gifted. But if you ask them, they would also tell you, well, there's an awful lot of hard work that goes in to running a marathon. You know, and a lot of them would tell you the hard work is the key. In fact, if you talk to business leaders like Steve Jobs, if he were still around, and you talk to, uh, you know, anybody who's succeeded, they would tell you hard work is the key to success. And everybody would see them as this sort of self-made person. And really, that's a myth. And in his book, Outliers, by Malcolm Gladwell, he debunks this myth that people are self-made, that it's just hard work that gets you there. In fact, he would say that's, that's important, but it's a component, right? That, that being gifted is a component of being successful, that being gifted as a runner is something that certain people are, and that helps them run faster. But they don't, it's not just that they're gifted. They're born at the right time, where there's the right training. They're born in the right place, where there's training available or or school available. They're born in the right family where their families support them. They don't do it alone. But they're also gifted. But like Bridget Koskai, right? She could be gifted, born at the right time, born in the right place, all these things. And if she never takes a step, we never hear her name. We have no idea who she is. Because it takes training. It takes time. It takes effort. To be generous takes effort. 
To be generous as God has called us to be generous takes effort. We have to take a step. We actually have to do what God's word says to do. If we never take a step, we're never truly generous. To be generous takes hard work. To run a marathon takes a lot of hard work. But you can always fake it. You know, you can go online and buy this jersey, and you can go down to Naperville Running Company, and you can get your little 26.2 sticker. They're not going to card you. They'll probably ask you, well, what race did you run? And you can look one up and, and tell them. And you could parade around as a marathon runner. For all you know, maybe that's what I'm doing today. The same thing is true of generosity. We can do all the things that kind of look generous. We can give a little bit and appear to be generous while really not being generous, as the Bible calls us to be generous, to be like Jesus. We're called to love one another as Jesus loved us, and to do that, we need to be generous with our time and our attention and our finances and our hospitality with our lives. And that's a big undertaking. I'd say it's a lot bigger than a marathon. But there's some same principles that apply there. And so we're going to look at a story this morning that kind of helps us understand that. Before we get there, would you would bow your heads and pray with me as we begin. Father in heaven, first of all, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the people that you bring here each week that serve us each week with music, with gifts, but who work hard. I thank you for the people that you've brought here this morning for Carrie and, and her passion for those children in Africa and her passion for clean water. Father, we thank you for that. And we ask you this morning that you would continue to work in us, to mold us and shape us more into the image of your son, that we would have compassion, that we would have empathy, that we would be a people that made a difference in this world because you have made a difference in us. Father, so I pray this morning that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight my God, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. But well, we said from the very beginning, if we're going to live that truly generous life, live like Jesus, it's going to require a change of our heart. It's a heart issue. It's not just a list of behaviors. Generosity isn't just A, B, C, there I am. It's a, it requires a changing of the heart. If we're truly going to love like Jesus, think about this for a minute. The God who, we're told, upholds the world by the power of his word. He upholds the, the whole universe in his hand. And if we think that to love like him, to be as generous as him, is as easy as listening to a sermon or reading a few passages and understanding about his life, and I step out of bed, and now I'm like Jesus, the distance between where we are and where he is, it will take the rest of our life, and we still will only be a short way there. It's a big, big undertaking. It is hard work. It is not easy. But the good news is, he's done something about that. The prophet Ezekiel told us that God would do something about that. Ezekiel told us that God himself would come and he would sprinkle us and make us clean. And then he would recreate our hearts. He would soften our hearts. He would break up that crust around our hearts that focus in on ourselves. And he would give us a heart of flesh that could feel, that could have compassion, not just for ourselves, but for others. That we could be outliers in this world. 
Not being generous as the world sees generosity, but truly generous as Jesus is generous is, would be an outlier. But the cool thing about it is, is that we are gifted to be generous people because he's given us the spirit in us. The spirit is talked about as God's gift to us. We are truly gifted to be generous people. We've been born in such a time as this to be generous people in the most affluent country in the world, in the history of the world. We've been born at the right time, in the right place, with the right resources, and we have been gifted to be generous people. Paul says we've been given that spirit not of fear, not to believe in that idea of scarcity, but to be generous. We have power. We have love. We have self-control. It's possible now because of what Jesus has done, not because we are inherently inherently generous people, but because he's recreated us in the image of his son. And every day he's remaking us into that image. And every day he's asking us to take a step, to take a step, to take a step. And so this morning as we look at this story of the Apostle Paul, I think there's some things that we can glean from this story, this story about Paul who was zealous for the law hunting down Christians, is transformed in an instant, and now he becomes this zealous man for Jesus. And in this story, I think we can find some things that, we, that help us become generous people today, how God works, but how he also asks you and actually requires you to take a step if you're truly going to be generous. It's going to require us to actually take a step. Before we talk about those three things, I want to talk about Paul for a minute, or Saul as he was known. We encounter Saul in chapter 7 of Acts. We're see, we see that he's a, a young man, probably somewhere in his 20s, that he's standing there as the Sanhedrin is stoning Stephen, the first Christian martyr, for professing Jesus as the Messiah. This is after Jesus has risen. And they stoned Stephen to death, and we're told that Saul is there in approval. And shortly after that, we're told that he is sent to Damascus as his own, at his own request to go and persecute Christians there, to bring them back to Jerusalem for trial and for, for killing them. See, Paul grew up in this town called Tarsus, which is in the southeastern corner of what is now Turkey. But it was a, on a route of, of big commerce. It's right on, right on the Mediterranean Sea, and it's, it's a commerce hub. And it would have been highly influenced by the Greek culture and also the Roman culture. And scholars believe that Paul himself was trained in the Greek languages and the Greek Stoic philosophers as, his, as he handles Greek, as you see it as it written. But we also see that he was a Roman citizen. Right, a Roman citizen, and how did that happen? They don't really know, but they say it must have happened. Either his father or his ancestors actually served in the Roman military or in the Roman service. And so Paul was born at the right time in the right place. He had this great upbringing with this influence. He was a Jewish citizen, but yet he was a Roman citizen, and he had freedom to travel as others didn't. And so we're told also that he's sent to Jerusalem to study under the Rabbi Gamaliel, which is a high-ranking official in the Sanhedrin, and he was one of the most influential rabbis of his day, and Paul was a student of his, not just a student. We're told he was his best student. So Paul was educated. 
He had a family that supported him and sent him to Jerusalem to get the right education. And Paul grew to become zealous for the law. Paul actually did the work. And he petitioned the Sanhedrin to go and, and do what he was created to do. And that's hunt down Christians. Hunt down anybody who disagreed with the Lord our God as one. The Shema. And so that's what he did. He's on his way to Damascus. It's just outside of Damascus, as we read, this bright light shines down from heaven and blinds him, sends him to the ground. And you hear this voice, and he doesn't know who it is. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting my people. Why are you persecuting me? We come to find out, Jesus says. And this is what Jesus says to him. Or Saul says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will, behold, you will be told what you must do. Paul gets up and goes into Damascus, and we're told that he's blind for three days. In the blink of an eye, Paul is transformed from this zealous Pharisee to this humble man who's now blind, and he's experienced the grace of Jesus. And in this story, I think there are some three things that we can take away that can help us understand today in a culture very similar to Paul's, how we can truly live as an outlier, as generous people in this, in this world, in this, in this land, in DuPage County, in Naper World. We can live as generous people. If we'll do what Jesus says to do, if we'll see, if we take away these points that Paul's teaching us here this morning. I think one of the first things we see in this story, one of the first things we have to, to take away if we're truly going to be generous people is that we need to be honest. We need to be honest people. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with others. We need to be forthright, honest with God. When Jesus says to Paul, to Paul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, well, you got the wrong guy. I'm not, I'm not that guy. But he knows he's caught, and he's honest, and he doesn't deny it. If we're going to be as honest as Paul, we need to admit we're not the generous people God has called us to be, nor will we ever be fully like Jesus. But every day of our lives, we can take a step, and he can make us more into the image of his son. Every day we get up and we're honest that we are not yet the generous person God desires for us to be. That is not a destination we reach in this life. Every day we need to be honest and admit where we are. And where we are is we're not yet what God has called us to be. Yet. And we need to be honest. Can we be honest? All of us from the most generous to the least generous, can get up every morning and say, I am not yet the generous person God desires for me to be. Which leads us to our second step. And that is, have a destination. When Paul got up, where was he told? Go to Damascus. Go to Ananias. The man I'm sending you to. He could have said yes and then went somewhere else. But he went exactly where Jesus told him to go. Exactly 
Where? Specifically, to Ananias' house. The destination that the scriptures give us for generosity, the destination is Jesus. It's his life. We're told to love one another as he has loved us, to be generous with one another as he has been generous to us. That's the destination. It's to look, live, love, to be generous as Jesus is. Not my neighbor, but as Jesus is. Not just a little bit, but as Jesus is. But see, here's the problem. If we don't have a destination, right? You heard this quote? If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And that's the way we handle our generosity. We have this big picture of generosity. And typically what we do is we choose a neighbor or this ideal or this thought we have in our mind of what's acceptable. And usually it's much, much lower. The bar is much, much lower. And not specific at all. It's too general. We need to be specific. We need to be intentional, as we learned last week. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding what you think generosity is. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge that everything that we have is from him. We, are, we have been called to be stewards of everything, not just a portion, but everything. All of it is his. He's given us the opportunity to steward his resources. And so every day, we commit that day, we commit our lives, we commit everything that he's given us and acknowledge that we are the recipients of his gift, of his generosity. We acknowledge that. And we ask him, what would you have me do today? Where would you have me serve today? Where would you have me give today? We acknowledge him. And it says, and he'll direct your paths. He'll set the destination if you'll ask him. That's what he promises you. But you must ask him. You must seek his understanding. You must seek after him. Which brings us to our third step. Any idea what it is? Actually take a step. You actually do what he tells you to do. Right? Paul gets up and actually goes where Jesus says to go. He actually takes a step in that direction. Every destination begins with a step in that direction. And that's what he asks of us, is to just take a step in his direction every day. Every day, every day, every day. It's a marathon. Every day, every day, every day. See, we can learn all about Jesus. We can study Paul. We can learn all the nuances about where he was born and what's so important about all of that. And we can study Greek and we can study Hebrew. But if we never take a step, we'll never, ever become any more like Jesus than we are right now. And that's not what he's calling us to. He's calling us to this radical picture of generosity, to be an outlier in our culture, to be aliens in this world, to be different. And to do that, we can't just hear the word. We actually have to do what the word says. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's what Paul understood. 
And so as we look today and how do we apply that in these different areas, like our areas of time, we need to be honest about where we're spending our time. We need to take an evaluation of our time and where do we spend it and how are we prioritizing it. Be honest and set a destination. And sometimes to be honest with our time says, I have to give this up if I'm going to do this. If Jesus is calling me to go here and I'm really acknowledging him and I'm taking time in the morning and actually starting my day with prayer, which means maybe getting up a little bit early, I'm going to have to do something different if I'm truly going to do what Jesus called me to do. And then I'm going to have to do it. How about in the area of our attention, of our of giving of ourselves? Maybe he's calling us to put down the phone. Right? Put down your phone in your homes. Put down your phone when you're at lunch. Put down your phone when you're at work. Put down your phone when your kids are around. Kids, put down your phone when your friends are around. And give your attention. Give yourself. Give your presence. To do that requires you to do something and to be honest that I spend way too much time with my head right here when I should have my head up looking around. See, that's the way the culture trains us to look inward, to look toward ourselves and not to look up at others. But Jesus is calling us to do something different. In the same area of hospitality, to truly be radically hospitable people means opening our homes not just to our friends, but to strangers and maybe neighbors and, and to people that we don't know and, and, and to, to offer up hospitality, our lives. To do that, whew, that requires some honesty. To say, I really don't do that. How about in the areas of finance? We need to be honest with our finances. You know, we're taking this class, Financial Peace University, Terry and I. And the honesty step comes in the very first week. And you know what it is? Make a budget. Make a budget. Account for all the money that's coming in to your house and account for all the money that's going out. Not just some of it, but all of it. That's what being honest with your finances is about. And so if I'm honest with you this morning, I would tell you I don't live on a budget. Not yet. But we're going to. We must be honest and say if we're truly going to be the people that Jesus calls us to be, we need to be stewards of what he's given us. Not just a portion of it, all of it. And account for it. And to do that, we need to be honest and say, guess what, I'm not doing that. And then we need to set a destination. And we need to say, that's not acceptable. I need to be able to account for what God gives me, what he has given me, and how I use it. See, to be a truly generous person in this culture requires us to be an outlier, requires us to do something different, not just what we've always done. We need to follow Jesus, and we need to follow his example as Paul did. And we need to be honest with ourselves and others. We need to set a destination. Remember, the destination is Jesus, and then we need to take a step. And the great news is, is that Paul didn't do it alone. He went to Damascus with the help of others. You know, we run marathons with the help of others. We live like Jesus with the help of others. We don't do it alone. 
And so we not only are honest with ourselves and with God, we're honest with one another. And we all agree the destination is Jesus. But we also admit that's a hard, hard road. It's an uncomfortable road, but it's the most rewarding road you'll ever walk in your life. And you know what we do after we take that step? We take another step. Because every day is an opportunity to become more like his son. Every day is an opportunity to do that. But to do that, you need to have a plan. You need to be intentional like we talked last week. You know, when you train for the marathon, if you've never run a marathon before, if being generous like this, being generous as Jesus calls us to be generous, you're sitting there going, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. There's no way in the world I could ever do anything like that. Well, you got to train for it. It begins with just a step. That's how you run a marathon, step by step. And this is a training plan the Team World Vision puts out. If you've never run a marathon before, they'll take you from the couch to the marathon. I am living proof of that. I am not parading here this morning. But you can do it. You just got to take a step. You got to say, okay. You got to say, yes. And you won't do it alone. And there'll be people alongside you and they'll encourage you. But you got to be honest. You got to be honest and say, the reason I haven't done it, the reason I really don't want to do it is I don't want to do it. And the same thing with generosity. The reason we're not doing it is most of the time is I really don't want to do it. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And so here, we've put together kind of like this base training, this sort of plan, an outline of how we as a congregation, every one of us, from the, from the smallest giver to the largest giver, from the smallest server to the largest server, not just size-wise, but you know what I'm getting at, those people that are here, all three services, every weekend. And so there's this thing that you were handed when you came in, it's this commitment letter. And it looks like this. And I want to explain to you what it is, and what it isn't. What it is, is a tool for you to use to be intentional about your giving, to make a plan, to actually set a destination, to be more like Jesus. And this commitment letter explains it on the inside. And one thing I want to bring to your attention is the scripture that's on the front page and the scripture that's on the inside. I know because we want to say this more than once. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, and not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is not for you to determine what to give that will make the church happy or make you appear generous. This is a tool so that you can determine your next step. What is your next step going to be? Will it be to give for the very first time? Will it be to give occasionally but not consistently? Or maybe it's going from occasional to intentional. And then I'm going to give regularly. You know, half of our giving right now comes in online. People go online and sign up to give. And, and you can do that in a recurring gift. And it can come out every so often. But I would encourage you, if you do that, still pray over that. Still acknowledge that. Still thank God for that opportunity when we give, that we're giving of what he's already given us. To thank him for his generosity. Or you can go from intentional to tither. Now, that's nuts. I'm telling you, it's nuts. It's crazier than running a marathon, but you can do it. And you can even do more than that. Give beyond a tithe. If you'll just take a step and trust him, 
Jesus says he'll walk right with you every step of the way. But you need to take a step. And we want to encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you to live the life of Jesus because there's no better life to live than to experience what it was to be Jesus to our neighbors and to the world and to actually provide clean water and food and, and clothing and, and sanitation for people that things that we take for granted we can provide if we'll just take stock of what we have. It's a great opportunity. What this is not, it's not for a way us, for us to hold you accountable. Okay, we're going to ask you to tear this off. And if you'd like, come back next week, drop it in the offering bag. Let this be a symbolic commitment from you to God because we're not going to look at it. It's going to be your commitment to him. You intentionally taking a step, drop it in the offering bag. I would ask you, put your name on it only if you want to talk about it. If you're still struggling with this generosity, if you're still disagreeing with what God's Word says, if you're still trying to understand what God's Word says, put your name and email address on this. I would love to talk with you and just have a conversation. This is a place where we can ask questions, where we can have doubts and we can express fears, and we can be honest with one another. That's what this is, a tool for us to use, to learn how to take the next step. And just so you know where those funds are going in a way that's missional, I'll give you this slide that shows you where some of those funds are going. We send 60,000 to mission partners this year, you know, and I think that goes up to 75 next year because we have a new mission partner, Mission India. On the card you got when you came in today, gives you a little bit of an explanation about that new mission partner that we have. So we'll be doing some work in India but also the mission projects, church at large, bridge communities. Remember, we're supporting that family this year in bridge communities. And other ways that your generosity, the things that God has gifted you with, the things that God is asking you to steward, you are using that to make a difference in the world. But you are not yet what God desires for us to be. We are not yet the generous church that God desires for us to be yet. Imagine what we could do together if we would just but listen and do what he calls us to do. You know, when we think about Paul, we think about that road up to Damascus, right? And from an instant, he's changed from this zealous man for the law to this guy that becomes this zealous man for Jesus. And we look at Paul, and just like kind of we look at Ingrid Kozai and go, there's just no way I could do anything like that. That's crazy. But just like Bridget Kozai took years and years and years of training, so it did with Paul. See, we think about what happens and we read what scripture and we miss the timeline. Paul, after he was converted, after he was transformed, spent three years in Arabia and in Damascus, and then he goes to Jerusalem. And he sits with Peter and, and John for 15 days, and then they send him to Tarsus because they were going to kill him in Jerusalem. You know how long he spent in Tarsus before Barnabas went and got him and they went on their first missionary journey before he ever penned a word in this text? Ten years. Ten years. For 13 years, God was working on Paul to become the man we meet in Scripture. For 13 years, Paul is studying the text. I know he's studying the text. And God is like, having these moments where he's like, oh, I, I missed that. 
And I missed that, and I missed that, I missed everything. For 13 years. Make him into the man that we read in Scripture, and it took much longer than that. Imagine what he can do in your life if you would just but commit your rest of your days, the rest of your steps to his way, to his destination. I believe he can do the same thing through us. What he promises to do, if we'll but listen to him and actually do what he says. If we'll truly take the steps to become the generous person that God desires for us to be. Would you pray with me?